0: Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production from iHeartRadio. Hey there and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer with iHeartRadio, and I love all things tech, and this is the tech news for Tuesday, June 8th, 2021. And if you were up in the wee hours of the morning today, if you were in the US, or, you know, if you're not in the United States, if you were just, you know, up, you might have noticed that some popular websites were not up. They were down. Big, big websites, including sites like Spotify, Twitch, Reddit, HBO Max, Stripe, PayPal, and then news organizations like The Guardian, The New York Times, CNN, and many more. Also, some government websites in the UK were down. So what was going on? I mean, when this kind of thing happens, clearly something major is going down on the back end. The possibility that all of these sites would suffer unrelated issues at the same time is just too low, right? So what happened? Well, apparently... The root cause was a problem with a CDN provider called Fastly. But that naturally raises a question. What in the blue blazes is a CDN? Well, that initialism stands for Content Delivery Network, which kind of gives you an idea of what it does, but it's a little, you know, misleading as well. So a CDN is a collection of internet servers that are distributed across different regions that collectively work to deliver faster internet content to end users. It's kind of like an edge network strategy. Essentially, you can think of it as almost like a dispersed team of experts who are all working on the same problem. Except, of course, we're talking about computer servers here. And interestingly, these servers don't actually host any content themselves. They aren't like holding the videos on HBO Max or anything like that. So they're not the repository of information that we find from the various sites we visit and services we use. Instead, these servers will load content into a cache memory. So you can think of this as like very temporary storage and then they can serve that up to end users. So if you're trying to watch a movie on HBO Max, the host... Server, for that content, could be sending out data to CDN servers, which in turn can send it to you, and that helps relieve the host server, the one that actually contains all the stuff for realies. It saves them from having to handle all of that load all by itself, and it helps ensure a faster experience for the end user. But Fastly apparently had some sort of massive malfunction that brought down the CDN system, and that meant that the support that these these different sites usually have was suddenly gone. As a result, millions of people found that numerous websites and services were totally unreachable. And in the case of stuff like Stripe and PayPal, that could be a really big disruption for commerce. Plenty of small merchants depend upon these services, so this was more serious than just not being able to watch a, a Twitch streamer or ha- or have a Twitch stream or access a Spotify playlist for an hour. Fastly was able to resolve the problem after about an hour, with service appearing to be restored by noon in UK time. So it's a really good thing that Fastly's response didn't move slowly. Our next story for today's news makes me feel like I kind of got into a time machine and then somehow went back to the late 90s and early 2000s. And that's because this story involves big music labels suing the proverbial pants off of an internet service provider because of alleged piracy committed by that ISP's customers. And y'all, we went through this two decades ago, and the music companies did not come out looking real good back then. So what exactly is going on now? Well, back in 2018, a group of music companies that include Sony Music, no surprise there, uh, Universal, and Warner filed a joint lawsuit against Cox Communications. And the claim was that Cox did not do enough to curtail piracy across its network as an ISP. The claim said that despite these companies directing Cox to specific IP addresses that were linked to music piracy, the company didn't actually go so far as to ban people from its service. And thus, Cox was culpable for the losses that these companies suffered due to piracy. And by the way, it is actually impossible to calculate the losses from piracy, because there's no way to establish if someone would have purchased a piece of media legitimately if they hadn't pirated it first. Because this isn't like physical media, right? It's not like someone broke into a warehouse and stole a palette of albums or something. They took a copy of a digital file, which can be copied infinitely. And so, Unless you can actually prove that that person was going to buy that digital media, but didn't, then how can you actually say the company was out any money? I mean, if I don't buy an album, right? Like if I just decide, oh, I don't want that. Well, it's not like I cost Sony music money. And that that seems like a pretty reasonable argument, right? I decide I don't want that album. I didn't rob anyone of that sale. So you can't actually establish how much money was lost as a result of piracy. There probably is some amount lost. I mean, it's not like it's not like it's a victimless crime. It's not that it's, you know, you just can't actually put a value to that loss because there's no way of knowing what it could be. And yet the jury in this case back in 2018, actually, they they found, uh, In the favor of the music labels in 2019, not only did they agree with the music labels, they uh, agreed to an award of nearly $100,000 per instance of piracy. And there were more than 10,000 instances of piracy, which meant that Cox's court mandated fine is at the billion dollar mark. Yowza, $1 billion in fines to pay to these music labels. Anyway, obviously Cox appealed that decision, and so that trial went to appeal. And earlier this year, that appeals court upheld that first decision. So they said, no, the court got it right. And now groups like the Electronic Frontier Foundation, or EFF, and the Center for Democracy and Technology, and a couple of others, have issued their own court filing regarding this case. These organizations point out that the court decision is incredibly harmful. If ISPs potentially face fines in the billion-dollar range, they are far more likely to boot people off their service if they get a notice from a music label. But it's never as simple as that. For example, let's just take my house, right? I live with my wife as long as, you know, she lets me, which so far has gone pretty well. Don't mess this up for me. Anyway, my wife and I use a household internet connection, right? It's not like we have two separate internet networks and she uses one and I use the other. So if one of us were to run a foul because we were, you know, being a dirty, dirty pirate and uh, I don't know, we were like trying to steal the SpongeBob SquarePants musical soundtrack, our ISP could get a notice from the copyright holder and then give us the boot. But let's say that I was just the one who did this, right? Like, it was just me that wanted that soundtrack so darn badly. My wife is completely innocent. She doesn't know about it. She's never listened to it. She certainly wasn't aware that I was stealing it. Well, clearly, if the ISP boots us, that doesn't just affect me. It affects my wife, who is completely innocent of having pirated the music about how a simple sponge saved Bikini Bottom. And the EFF points this out. It says this is just the tip of the iceberg. An IP address could mean that the ISP has to boot off an entire college or a hospital or a library or even municipality Wi-Fi. I mean, the the group rightly points out that these damages aren't anywhere close to the realities of any harm suffered and that it punishes the innocent as well as the guilty. So essentially, these groups are saying that the court got it totally wrong, that the court misinterpreted the law, and that allowing for an award that is completely out of alignment of any actual damage suffered is also uh, unjust, and that the consequences will be catastrophic because ISPs will be far more trigger-happy to boot people off of their service if the the alternative means that these companies are going to get, you know, hit by billion-dollar fines. So, this is just a bad situation. They also make the point that the internet access these days is really an integral component in participating in modern society. And if you cut someone off from that, that's a non-trivial problem. It's like saying, all right, well, because you, you know, stole a bottle of water at the local convenience store, we're shutting water off at your house. Like, That's not cool. And Cox has appealed the court's decision, so this is going to go to another appeals court. Uh, And currently, the company, the ISP, actually has a lot of support behind it from various legal scholars and advocacy groups, which is interesting. ISPs frequently get a lot of flack because of anti-competitive stuff that ISPs tend to be, at least tangentially involved in. But in this case... You have a lot of people siding with the ISP, and we'll have to see where this goes next. Meanwhile, it's still a bumpy ride for Bitcoin. Back in March, the cryptocurrency hit an all-time high value of nearly $65,000 per Bitcoin. Later, that value plunged to nearly half of that, in fact, lower than half of that at some points, hitting close to $30,000. And after a brief recovery, the value took another hit again earlier today. So what's going on? Well, there are a few things that are happening all at the same time, and it's really impossible to say which things are chiefly responsible for this. But one thing is we could be seeing a bear market in which the value will be on the decline until enough people start buying into Bitcoin again on a really large scale, to cause this to switch over to a bull market again. Bull market is where the value starts to climb because more and more people are buying into it. But a different contributing factor could be that recently the U.S. government managed to recover most of a ransom that Colonial Pipeline paid to ransomware hackers earlier this year. All right. so quick summary of that story. Colonial Pipeline supplies fuel to the eastern half of the United States. And the company was hit with a ransomware attack that shut down its pipeline, uh, or really the company shut down its own pipeline sort of as a precautionary measure to make sure that the malware did not spread throughout the entire system. But this caused a short-term gas shortage and a massive spike in fuel prices in much of the US. And then the shortage got way worse because some people decided to hoard gasoline, which is both selfish and stupid. Gasoline does not keep forever, so if you hoard more than you need, there's a good chance that gasoline is going to essentially lose its potency before you get around to using it. And of course, it's really dangerous to store gasoline unless you have the proper storage containers, and a lot of people were filling up all sorts of stuff with gasoline and just creating massive potential disasters. Anyway, Colonial Pipeline actually got things back in action fairly quickly, but it turned out the reason they were able to do so was that the company actually complied with the hacker's demands and paid the ransom, which is something that most people, including me, say is a dumb, dumb idea because it reinforces that strategy in the first place and it makes future ransomware attacks more likely. Bad move, Colonial Pipeline. Now we hear that the U.S. government was able to seize most of that ransom that was paid to the hackers, which of course had been paid in cryptocurrency. And these kind of stories definitely are a bad look for cryptocurrency in general, which frequently gets associated with illegal and unseemly activities. Now I want to point out, that's not necessarily the fault of the currencies, The idea behind cryptocurrency is that it should be usable for any sort of transaction, not necessarily illegal ones. But just like technologies such as peer-to-peer networks, we see folks associate the technology with illegal activity. And these kind of stories don't help. And how did the US recover more than $2 million in ransom? Well, they apparently got access to the decryption key for one of the ransomware attackers' digital wallets, which is kind of like handing someone the key to a vault. And hearing that a government managed to take money away from someone using cryptocurrency probably has at least some percentage of Bitcoin enthusiasts upset. Anyway, that may have contributed to another slip in Bitcoin value, which dipped below $32,000 this morning. Oh, I should also mention that just a few days ago, Elon Musk once again managed to weigh in on this whole thing. He tweeted a breakup meme suggesting that he has fallen out of love with Bitcoin and the Bitcoin value took a little hit at that point, too, which, of course, led to more complaints that Musk is manipulating markets. That's something he's been accused of multiple times at this point. And what all this says to me is that people should just stop following Elon Musk on social media. (laughs) That guy. All right, we have a few more stories to get through today, but first let's take a quick break. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed the 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May live on NFL Network ESPN2 and streaming on NFL Plus terms and conditions apply to NFL Plus visit nfl.com/schedule release to learn more
0: having just spoken about you know government turning the tables on tech let's continue that For a second and talk about the FBI's massive sting operation with regard to an encrypted messaging service. So here's the pitch: You got your criminal types, right? You got your Tony Sopranos and whatnot. These folks need to communicate with one another, but they also need those communications to be secure, or else the heat catches on, right? Next thing you know, you got the feds on your case. So You seek out services that allow you to communicate over encrypted lines so that anyone who intercepts that communication will just get absolute nonsense out of it. They'll be unable to tell what has been said between the two or more parties. But what if it turned out that the feds were the ones who designed the communication tool in the first place? Well, that's what's happened here with various law enforcement agencies around the world, not just the FBI. Uh, it, law enforcement in Australia and other places have played a major part as well, and they all work together in order to make this happen. It started out back in 2018, and it became known internally as Operation Trojan Shield. So law enforcement created a what was so, said to be a secure messaging app called ANOM, A-N-O-M. The phones that ANOM were on couldn't make calls. they They weren't. Enabled to make phone calls or really do anything else other than use this app, this Anom app, uh, they could only really communicate that way. And the feds made sure that these phones would only be available through the black market, and that made them look real legit shady. Like this is this is illegal stuff, and so the only way to get it is through the black market. And thus, it seems in a weird way, legitimate, right? So some Australian agents who were deep undercover had phones with ANOM on it, and they gave those phones out to high-ranking profile members of various crime groups and syndicates and families, so like the mafia and outlaw biker gangs and stuff like that, and gave them recommendations to use the app for communication Those recommendations filtered through the various organized crime groups with more people switching over to it, believing that this would mask their activities from government agencies. But in fact, the law enforcement groups had backdoor access to that messaging the entire time, and they could monitor communications and set up a massive sting operation. So law enforcement intercepted millions of messages between folks like drug traffickers and weapons smugglers. Asian crime syndicates, outlaw biker groups, and more. And the public only learned about this operation on Monday when it was revealed that law enforcement had made hundreds of arrests, like around 800 of them, all around the world. Yowza. And now for a story about Apple. Actually, a couple of them. The company recently announced some privacy-related features at the Worldwide Developers Conference, or WWDC, and one of those is called Private Relay, which sounds really interesting. It prevents any entity from tracking your browser history. That includes your ISP and it includes Apple. So in other words, you can browse using Private Relay and there's no, there's no one out there who's tracking which sites you have visited during that browsing session. However, this announcement, which I think is really cool. I think Private Relay is really interesting. I'm very curious how it actually works. But uh, there is a qualifier, and that is this feature will not be available worldwide. Apple is not going to make it available in Saudi Arabia, China, South Africa, Belarus, Egypt, Kazakhstan, and a few other countries. The company so far has not actually commented on why these regions will not have access to this particular feature, but I'm pretty sure most of us can make at least some educated guesses. Because in many of these countries, governments are not too keen on citizens having unfettered and thus uncontrolled access to the internet for various reasons. In places like China, accessing sites outside of the country itself typically requires you to make illegal use of VPNs to spoof where your location is. And that way you can bypass the Great Firewall of China. But should China come after a VPN service then the user data that that VPN service is steward of could be at risk. So let's say that it's a VPN that keeps at least a short-term record of what sites users have accessed. Well, if China goes after that VPN service, they could presumably get hold of that information and thus ultimately come after citizens who are making use of that VPN service. Now, some VPN services are great in that they wipe all that data very quickly, regularly, so that there's nothing for anyone to get hold of. There's no there's no uh, no footprints left behind or anything like that. But not all VPNs are like that. And if you've got you know the power of the Chinese government coming after you, you might be compelled to hand over user data. So a feature like Private Relay could serve as a protection against that. You could use Private Relay in conjunction with a VPN and leave no trace behind and thus have better access to information. Well, I would hazard a guess that the Chinese government really doesn't want Apple to include a feature that would allow citizens to potentially bypass national restrictions on internet access. And China represents a truly huge market for any company. I mean, that's... More than a billion people live in the country, so obviously it's an enormous market. So most companies are not so firm in their convictions about providing stuff like privacy and security in order to give up on that lucrative a market. Apple is by no means the only company to make allowances for governments that a lot of folks would refer to as oppressive. So while I am singling out Apple here, because that's what the story's about, I do want to make it clear they ain't the only ones who do this sort of thing. It's not like Apple is being particularly disingenuous. Uh, This is pretty much across the board. Next, we have a story about a lawsuit aimed at Apple. This one claims that the most recent versions of iOS have caused older phones to encounter performance issues, namely around slower processing speeds and shorter battery life. Now, if this sounds familiar, it's because we've actually seen this happen a few times before. But the argument now is that as Apple releases new hardware and new versions of iOS, it is at least somewhat intentionally designing the OS to make older iPhones perform at a substandard level as part of a planned obsolescence strategy, thus encouraging customers to upgrade to the latest version of the iPhone. The complaint actually includes this passage, quote, "...Apple benefits from not having to tell existing and prospective iPhone users that updates touted to add desirable features and to fix security and other bugs have a significant countervailing downside in the form of decreased processing speed and battery life." End quote. So in other words, this complaint is saying Apple's hyping up all the new features of the more recent versions of iOS in an effort to convince people to download those updates. But then the update allegedly nerfs older iPhone models and thus pushes customers to have to buy new iPhones. So in other words, they're saying like this is, this is unfair market practices, essentially, is what this comes down to. So we'll have to keep an eye on this and see how this goes. Typically, you see issues like this get settled out of court. It's very rare that it actually goes the distance. In drone news, for the first time, an unmanned aerial vehicle served as the refueling aircraft for a piloted U.S. jet fighter in midair. The drone, manufactured by Boeing, connected via hose to the jet fighter as the two flew over the Midwestern United States in a a four-and-a-half-hour-long test flight. So the drone flew ahead of the jet fighter, And so it extended a hose behind it, and it was the jet fighter pilot's job to position the jet so that it could follow the drone at the proper distance and dock with the end of that hose, and then the refueling followed. More than 300 gallons of fuel were transferred from the drone to the jet fighter. So the test was a success. And it could point to a future in which militaries are able to free up pilots from flying refueling missions. You know, they could shift that responsibility over to unmanned drones, and the human pilots could be, then go on to perform other tasks, presumably, you know, ones that are, are more oriented towards specific mission goals as opposed to uh, support. So that is interesting. And finally, we've talked about autonomous cars and trucks and drones and stuff, but now it's time to talk about autonomous boats. Over in Amsterdam, the city is testing out autonomous boats in its various canal systems. Uh, The rowboats, which is not a a rowboat as in row, row, row your boat, but as in a robot boat are part of a five-year project to test how the boats will be able to navigate the various waterways of Amsterdam and how they might become an integral part of Amsterdam's transportation infrastructure. So some of the proposed uses for these boats include promoting tourism. That's a big one. So allowing tourists to get around the city in an interesting way. Uh, Also to reduce traffic congestion on Amsterdam's roads because the canals are actually underutilized compared to the surface roads of Amsterdam. And because the boats are actually modular in design and thus can easily fit together to create larger structures, they could possibly serve as floating bridges or stages should the need arise. But that's all going to be in the future because uh, as of right now, the engineers at MIT and other places who are working on this project, they say that the boats are probably two to four years out from having a sophisticated enough navigation and, uh, and, and motor system to get around reliably and safely without having an operator on board. So it will be a little while longer before they can enter full operation, assuming it all works out. But next up, I say is Venice, because I want my robot gondolier, baby. I, I want that that robo voice singing out as we go through the canals of Venice. <sighs> a guy can dream. Wouldn't a robot be cute wearing a little striped shirt and a little straw hat? You know, I'm just saying. Anyway, that's it for the news for today, June 8th, 2021. If you have suggestions for topics I should cover on Tech Stuff, reach out to me on Twitter. The handle is TechStuffHSW, and I'll talk to you again really soon. Tech Stuff is an iHeartRadio production. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app,
1: Zumo Play.